Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is la doctora Aurora Chang. Aurora Chang was an undocumented immigrant from Guatemala and is now a hyper-documented professor. She is a graduate at the University of California, Berkeley, Stanford, and she completed her PhD in curriculum and instruction at the University of Texas at Austin. She currently serves as associate professor and chair of the higher education program at Loyola University in Chicago. She's also liaison and coach for the National Center for Faculty Diversity and Development, and she's also an educational consultant. Her research focuses on identity, education, and agency of marginalized students. Bienvenida a este episodio, Aurora. Muchas gracias, Elena. Doctora Chang, you are guatemalteca. Tell me about your transition to the U.S. When did this happen? Sure. Um, so everything I know about my immigration here is through stories because mm. I was five um, when we immigrated to this country. But in a nutshell, um, my father um, left Guatemala and didn't tell us um, that he was leaving. And my mom got quickly got wind of this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. my mom, being who she is, um, found her way to him mm -hmm. and took uh, myself and, at the time, my two other uh, siblings. We eventually were six um, and immigrated first to Southern California to um, trying to remember the name of the West Covina. It was uh, West Covina, California. Um, and we were just there for about nine months. And then we ended up um, moving to the San Francisco Bay Area to a city called Richmond, um, California, mm -hmm. which is where um, I grew up. And uh, that's where I lived for the next uh, 30 years. And That was uh, the transition. Right. So do you miss being back in California? Sometimes. <laughs> I, you know, I totally miss my family, and most of mm -hmm. them are there. What I don't miss is the cost of living. Right, right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, Aurora, in your bio, I uh, read that you were undocumented at one point and now a hyper-documented professor. Um, tell me about this, and, and how have these two experiences um, influenced who you are and what you do? So much. Um, I mean, being having been once undocumented is a central part of my identity, and now being hyper-documented, which to me, that's a term that I um, developed because it describes sort of this idea that we collect or even hoard documents to make ourselves mm. feel worthy um, for right. something that we believe we lack. In my case, being undocumented, but I think other folks can certainly um, resonate with that kind of um, 
feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what it's taught me is that, um, I mean, a couple of things. One is that the things um, that make me different and marginalized and that I've been discriminated against, those were things that I, at one point I thought isolated me, but they're actually things that connect me to other people. Mm-hmm. So I've being both um, once undocumented and hyper-documented have allowed me to really uh, use my story and my life experiences as a place of connection. Um, and so that's been very hopeful for me. Um, the other thing that I've learned is that if you don't frame your own narrative, if you don't tell your own story, mm-hmm. someone else will. And that can be incredibly dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, being able to write about my story, share my story, those things are, are very powerful um, tools. Right. It, you know, the I'm... I'm just interested on this uh, idea of undocumented and hyper-documented in, in, in terms of um, maybe us as Latina women or, uh, you know, mar- marginalized communities in the U.S. Um, what things about both of this, those states, I guess, of being undocumented and hyper-documented carry over? Are, you know, are, are we still... Um, seen a certain way, um, even after, you know, achieving the highest degree or, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are about, are about that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things is that we never escape, nor do we want to, um, the bodies that we occupy. Okay. So whether, you know, I still look quote unquote, illegal or undocumented, you know, no, I'm not carrying around a big file cabinet full of my, you know, awards and degrees and papers. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I even think that that would matter, um, that, you know, having these degrees would somehow shield me, mm-hmm. um, has proven wrong many times. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I, um, I'm constantly recalling is, you know, I've, I've been mistaken for um, a housekeeper. I've been mistaken for a restaurant worker. Mm-hmm. I've been um, mistaken for um, being a nanny, but no one's ever mistakenly thought I was a doctor. Right. Um, and that will never um, change. And so I agree, mm-hmm. those things stay with you. And the undocumented status part, um, even though I was a, really just a lucky recipient of national amnesty um, in 1986 through the Immigration Reform and Control Act. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it, I mean, literally, um, look, I could be just like any other undocumented um, person right now were it not for those um, legal actions. And so um, that experience of being undocumented, though that fear, that sort of hyper um, sensitivity to um, danger, Mm -hmm. um, to being outed, that still um, remains. And I don't want to diminish, you know, um, obviously being undocumented um, carries much more risk than just a feeling, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is still a forever part of my um, identity. 
Of course, of course. Um, Aurora, talk to us about your journey of becoming a Latina professor. Yeah, so um, the journey's been windy. Um, mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be a professor. I've just always loved school. Mm -hmm. uh, school has always been my haven. I've always been, you know, I'm the typical, what you would call, quote unquote, a deserving immigrant story. This is the story that, you know, um, most of uh, white stream America loves, which is, I got the straight A's. I was a quote unquote good daughter. I've never been um, in trouble before with the law. Um, and so school has always been the place where I've felt seen or where I've felt safe um, mm -hmm. because I did well. Um, and so, you know, I've been in education for the last, you know, 25 years or so but in different capacities. So I started out as a high school English teacher, an ESL teacher in San Francisco. And since then I've had about five or six different jobs, um, none of which I've stayed in for more than three years um, in education, mm -hmm. um, higher ed, K-12. This is the longest place I've ever stayed at Loyola University. Um, for I've been here for six years mm -hmm. as an associate professor. And so, um, the journey was definitely through education, but I think becoming a professor, the seed we planted for me by um, fellow like professors of color that I had, yeah. um, both right. in undergrad and in and in grad school, who literally tapped me and were, were like, "Have you ever thought about this?" <laughs> uh, which I was like, "No, I haven't thought about it." Um, and then just you know, kind of going out on a limb and relying on other people's um, sort of uh, um, because many times, even now, I still cannot believe that um, that I have the fortune of being able to be a professor and, and, and a writer. Um, it's uh, quite surreal sometimes. <laughs> you know, that's interesting that you say um, somebody tapped you and said, Hey, have you thought about this? And and I had a similar experience when I finished my undergraduate degree, you know, a professor approached me and said, Hey, you know, we have a, a master's program and I think you, you know, you should look into. And um you, you know, and, and and I didn't do it right away, but um, but that planted a seed. I never mm -hmm. I had never considered that. I had never thought about it. And um so I make sure that I that I do that with my students now. You know, I see students, especially Latino students, um, that are doing well. That I that I see potentially, and not necessarily in the same area that I'm that I'm in. Um, and I, you know, I get together with them and I say, "Hey, what what are you doing after graduation? Or what are your mm -hmm. plans? Have you considered grad school? You know, and and uh, and we have those discussions. And I don't know if it. And sometimes. Uh, um, you know, they take the, the call and, and they apply for grad school. And sometimes it takes a few years, but then, but then they, you know, they send me an email. Hey, uh, Profesora, can you write me a letter? <laughs> and right, I'm, right. I'm very happy to do that, you know, and, um, but it's that, you know, um, a lot of the times when I've had conversations with um, students of color about grad school, they, 
don't say, oh, yes, I'm looking into it. it it's usually <laughs> like, oh, I haven't thought about that, right? Or, right. Um, yeah, and so I think we need to do more of that, right? Uh, reaching out and, and planting that seed on our students. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, the, the best gift of being in a position like you and I are in is mm -hmm. that we can leverage our capital for others. Mm -hmm. And that we can use um, all of this capital to kind of sustain or build a foundation for, or, you know, just propel um, another young person or another aspiring person of color to um, reach kind of heights that they either hadn't considered, hadn't been exposed to, or simply haven't seen reflections of themselves. So right. um, I think it's, yeah, that, that's some of the best part of this work. Mm -hmm. Um, Aurora, I was fortunate to hear you talk during the Faculty Women of Color Conference just last month, which was virtual uh, this year, uh, given right. our current pandemic conditions. Everything is virtual right now. Um, your talk was about testimonios as official knowledge. In the description of your talk, you provided this definition, and I'm going to read it here. Testimonial serves as a form of narrative inquiry that transcends awareness and gravitates towards political intention, questions power relations, speaks truth to power, creates spaces for resistance, and emphasizes the critical need for solidarity toward equity. Uh, Dr. Chang, I know how important this is for marginalized groups because we are often not part of official narratives. Tell me about how we can use this lived experiences to inform our work, to empower ourselves and others. <clears throat> so um, for me, stories are everything, 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 mm -hmm. because our stories are really our anchors. You know, they they ground us, um, they keep us at shore when we need to be still. Um, they are, you know, our lived experiences are like um, superpowers um, because they allow us to uh, create meaning and whatever like our lived experiences touch, they change, mm -hmm. you know, they, you change others when you share your experiences you also invite others, you're saying it's okay, not only okay, it's great to share your experience. You're not alone in the experience. That's mm -hmm. why, you know, that's what I feel is so magical about it. You know, um, I think when I was first starting to even consider writing about my own personal narrative and connecting it to my larger research agenda about undocumented people, I was really terrified because in, in my heart of hearts, I just didn't know if what I was saying mattered or mm -hmm. if it was important enough or if I could articulate it. And so I think the way we use that in our, you know, daily lives to empower ourselves is by just being as vulnerable and frank as possible, not trying to imitate others mm -hmm. um, or follow a certain kind of um, trope, but to just really you know, speak your story. Um, I was just right in front of me, there's this saying um, that I keep on this cork board and it's the, the Dalai Lama. And he says, the planet doesn't need more successful people. The planet desperately needs more peacemakers, healers, mm 
mm. restorers, storytellers, and lovers of all kinds. Mm. And I think that's the the way for me that I've found success is not in your typical kind of success stories, but more about being a a storyteller and hopefully a, a healer of, of some kind. You know, um, I've I've given a couple of keynotes um, in the past, and every time that I've done that, I I have to connect whatever the topic it is that I'm asked to 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 discuss or to talk about, uh, whether it's leadership or mentorship or you know something related to my research or the things that I do. I always connect it to my passion and and why I do this. Why is this important to me? And what mm-hmm. sort of what um, what inspired me to do or what lessons that I learn. Um, and I make it personal. Right. And, 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 mm-hmm. um, and I remember the first times that I, th- that I did that, I was unsure <laughs> whether yeah. I should be sharing about, you know, like my family or, or, or uh, my daughters or something like that. Right. But it was, it was wonderful that at the end, each time that I, that I did that at the end of that presentation or that keynote, people would come to me and say, Thank you for saying this, or thank you for uh-huh. you know talking about this, and and I re- and it was most of the time it was that personal you know note or story that I shared that captured um, people's attention, but also um, they were able to relate to some of the things that I was saying, and they felt seen, and and that's what I feel when when mm. when you when you gave your um, your presentation your talk last month, and and talking about testimonials and telling our stories and connecting through storytelling um, and owning that, I feel that um, that's what we experience, right? That we are seen uh, by others, by you, by, you know, the speaker, by those around us. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you, you kind of, you know, hit the nail right on the head. There is this idea of being seen is so life-giving um mm-hmm. right in, in some ways sometimes I say that like when when I wrote my my first book on undocumented students I felt like I was sort of like um taking the religiosity out of it I was born again um mm-hmm. in, in the sense that you know I it's like you birth a story you birth the stories of others and it's mm-hmm. just such a powerful kind of life-giving um experience and testimony um when we do this um it's i I think it's it's very critical to um both creating a historical account Mm -hmm. of stories that haven't been accounted for but also just on a personal level to really understand that you matter Yeah, and that we can learn from that, right? Uh, so I work with students that mo- a lot of the students that I work with are first generation or, um, yeah, that, that haven't been um, told that their story matters, that, they're, mm-hmm. that they bring knowledge with them that we can all learn from, you know, and, um, and, I, and I spend a lot of time uh, pushing and thinking and talking about this, um, so that they can that they can see that their story is unique, but it's also valuable to mm-hmm. to all of us, to all of us in the classroom, to all of us in the room, uh, and um, 
you know, and, and, and it's not easy for a young person to, to be comfortable with that. But no. And I think for us at different points, um, maybe it's not comfortable all the time or in certain, under certain cir- circumstances or with certain groups. But um, so, so we're continuing, you know, we, we push ourselves. So we push ourselves to, to, to do it, um, which leads me to, to my next question, right? Because sometimes this um, thing that we do by sharing our stories and trying to empower others that we know is beneficial. We know how, um, what a positive impact it could have with uh, marginalized communities, but it's not always the case um, maybe with majority uh, populations mm-hmm. or majority groups. So how do we change that culture around us? How do we make sure that what we're saying um, is taken seriously, uh, that when we use our testimonials and our writing, teaching, and leadership is seen as legit, right? As, mm-hmm. as rigorous, as, um, you know, as important and valuable as, as quoting I don't know, uh, 20 different research articles, right? Um, so, so I, you know, I, I, I'm interested. I'm always interested in how do we push um, to, to make sure that the culture changes, you know, a little bit and, and, and becomes more inclusive and more accepting of those personal narratives, testimonies, you know, testimonials of, of, of people of color, for example. Yeah, I really appreciate this question because it it gives me so much to think about. Um, I think the key here is twofold, right? So one is we need to master our own artistic craft, whatever that is. In my case, um, it is kind of ethnographic storytelling that, you know, privileges the personal, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I always like to say that I encourage my students to make the personal academic. Mm -hmm. However, having said that, that doesn't mean that you're going to write a stream of consciousness story about yourself and and produce academic writing. You have to also, if you want to go this route, you have to be a great storyteller and you have to have your academic stuff down, you know? So it really does involve um, a certain level of of rigor. I think a lot of times people think stories, people think ease, people think easy, you know, um, but telling a story is is a craft. You know, if anyone's ever, you know, asked you to do that, you know how hard it can be to come up with something off the top of your head and even more difficult to write it and then articulate it mm-hmm. as such. And so I think part of this um, kind of idea of being taken seriously, or at least being, in my case, being published, um, which is sort of the equivalent of being taken seriously mm-hmm. in academia, is um, is really important. But the second piece is that you have to think that what you're doing is important first. Um, if I think the hardest convincing isn't necessarily to others, but it's getting out of that like colonialized internal hatred that we have of our cultures, of ourselves mm-hmm. as marginalized people, 
that we can't get our stories out, not because people are saying don't do it or you can't, but because we just don't believe mm. that what we have to say is important enough to share. And so, you know, I've spent a lot of my life worrying about being seen by others or by being legitimated by others. And what I learned is that you can waste a lot of precious energy trying to convince others to take you seriously, mm -hmm. but that the most useful and impactful journey is convincing yourself that what you have to say is serious, is important, is worthy of uh, being written. I think when we have that kind of confidence, when we have that, and it's, confidence might not be the right word. It's like even when we feel that drive, that necessity to write or to do our art, that that is when it becomes attractive. That mm -hmm. is when it becomes magnetic. Um, your people are drawn to it. And so for me, um, a lot of this is similar to the question of like, who is your audience? Mm -hmm. People will ask me sometimes in terms of writing. I say, my audience is myself. It mm -hmm. used to be an imaginary group of people or, you know, I'd say academics or who, whoever. But now I'm like, no, I, what would I want to read and how would I want to read it? Mm. Um, and then so trying to just, you know, write what you've always wanted to read. That's sort of the idea here um, is that I feel like that's how you end up making a mark is when you are writing those things that you so needed to read either as a child or um, as an adult or now in, in your present moment, what would feed you? And that's what you should write that's what you should draw that's what you should sing you know that's what you should build um is what you've always needed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you've uh you've talked about testimonials with different audiences uh, at different universities and 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 uh and, and i'm sure with different groups tell me about some of the the feedback that you've received um, about that and, and how have you seen, can you, can you think of, of, of a time that you, you know, that, that maybe an audience member came and felt empowered by what you would, and, 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 um, uh, encouraged, right. Uh, that, that they can now be confident in doing something like that or, or talking about their own story, um, or at least, thinking about that and how they can um, incorporate who they are into what they write. Um, yeah. can, can you think, can you give us maybe an example of something that you've witnessed? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I've been lucky that um, I have experienced this quite a bit um, from mainly well, students, um, but also just um, audience members um, that'll, you know, come up to me and, you know, basically, in so many words, say, I have a book inside of me, also, <laughs> you know, or um, I've been meaning to write about this. Um, but I feel like, you know, you've given me kind of the charge to, you know, to do it. Um, 
But I think one thing that stands out the most in my mind is that I did um, receive an email at one point from a high school student um, who was assigned one of my articles um, to read in class. And, you know, she shared that she was undocumented also and that she felt like, you know, she could see herself in my writing. And, you know, for me as an academic writer, the fact that it was used in a high school classroom, mm. that some, some teacher thought this will connect with young people and that a young person would take the time to say, I connected with this piece. To me, um, that was, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm done. I've done everything I've needed to do. I'm just going <laughs> to close it up and walk away. You know, I want what I write to be as accessible as academic writing can be. To some degree, it's, you know, always going to have a level of academies in it um, to kind of get through the channels of peer review. But I think that um, when young people um, can connect to it, Mm. Um, that means the absolute world to me because then I feel like I'm, I'm sharing things that matter, like matter. To, pe to real people, right? To real people. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's what I think about, like in some of the, the work that I do, like, yeah, I mean, if it matters to other academics, it's great, but I really want to connect with people to I mean if I'm if I'm writing about people or the work that we do in communities or things like that um it has to matter to them too right um mm -hmm. and, and and if it doesn't and if it's too abstract or complicated then I'm not doing it right in my view right right and you know I would say to that is and that's the hardest academic writing to do Mm -hmm. is the one that, you know, the type of writing that is actually accessible. Mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. not that hard, in my opinion, <laughs> to write um, in ways that few people can understand. Mm -hmm. It's even, you know, I mean, that you're reaching a really small audience. Mm -hmm. But to be able to blend the two mm -hmm. of academic writing with access and with a sort of storytelling ease, that's that's rigor right right um i have a, a another question for you and and the work that you do with undocumented students um can you talk to me a little bit about working with undocumented students and places of higher education um tell me about that how to build that sense of belonging for 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 students you know that are undocumented in our campuses and and we you know we we just talked about the the importance of testimonies and and owning our story and in, in the different marginalized groups but when we talk about undocumented students that you know those are particularly um uh, vulnerable populations right mm -hmm. um and so i i just kind of want to hear a little bit about some of the work that you that you've done um uh, working with students who are undocumented? Yeah, so um, the work that I do is um, qualitative. Mm -hmm. So I really, um, you know, less is more. And so I, um, I have worked in the past with a group of six, um, in particular, um, undocumented students 
That's mm-hmm. what the, the book that I wrote was based on. And mm-hmm. it was a participatory um, action research project, a youth right. participatory action research project, um, where together we came up with research questions together. We collected data. Mm. Um, I was able to teach them about research, how to engage in research, the different parts of research. And then they sort of gave me the permission, their permission to have a group of um, academic uh, writers sort of tell their stories, right? Um, and so, you know, working with that group of students, I think it was very important that at one point I, I shared that identity with them. Um, for this particular group, there was a level of understanding, I think, and kind of confianza that um, right. couldn't be had um, otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I also just, um, what I've learned um, through undocumented students is that, you know, they are such a diverse population in and of themselves. And many times they're presented as just kind of a one-dimensional um, sort of uh, group. You know, you think Latinx, you think um, poverty-stricken, mm-hmm. you think across mm-hmm. the desert. Um, and while that is true for some, you know, it's what I've learned is that there are undocumented students, well, from everywhere, of course, across the globe, but that are from different classes, socioeconomically, that have different interests, that have different political leanings, um, mm-hmm. that have different, you know, it's so, I think um, my work with them has really um, helped to inform or to disrupt even some of my own stereotypes um, um, that I had about um, undocumented people, um, or even some, you know, rigid ideas I had about myself, you know, and kind of that you sometimes feel the need that you have to fit this certain script, the narrative of the dreamer, for example, when, in fact, you know, we come in all sorts of shapes, sizes, and backgrounds and stories. And so um, that work has been really helpful in sort of debunking some of those um, myths. And that's mm-hmm. just, you know, Undocumented students um, that I've that I worked with, anyways, they were they sort of self-selected. So they were students that were what you would call kind of um, you know out and unafraid, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. less more willing to to tell their stories. But there are certainly other students who understandably don't want to share their story and are activists just as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, no, y- y- you're right. And you just, you said something that I, that I think about all the time uh, as I work with um, a, a group of um, DACA or undocumented students that, and they're also different and their, their stories um, are, their journeys are different. Their families are different, uh, different and um, uh, their backgrounds and et cetera. Right. And, and, and how, um, even this, how they get the sense of um, empowerment um, mm-hmm. comes from different places too. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's important to think about that when we when we work with uh, with students who are undocumented or DACA students in our colleges and universities that that they're not. Um, it's not one story. It's not one type of student, um, and and we need to. We need to acknowledge that diversity within within the student group. Right, right. Um, Dr. Chang, is there anything else you would like to share with us about 
the work that you do or maybe future uh, projects that you have on the works? Sure. Um, so I'm working um, on my second book right now that was recently contracted and it's around um, another identity um, that I also share with students, mm -hmm. which is my multiracial identity. Um, mm -hmm. So the book um, is called Racial Queer, um, the Intersections of Identity, Education, and Agency um, in the Lives of Multiracial Students. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and then if folks are interested in checking out my work, they mm -hmm. can go to um, aurorachang.com and my publications are there and a little bit more um, about me. But yeah, this has been a pleasure and I am so honored that you um, that you thought of me. Yes, thank you. Thank you for this conversation, Aurora. You're welcome. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Sí.